Newsflash. Ben Hammond, co-host from the Have You Seen This podcast, has been arrested on suspicion of crimes against humanity. His crimes include, but are not limited to, liking the film Last Christmas and making his co-hosts watch The Lie. He is currently being held in an undisclosed location where he is being interrogated by Mark Kermode. Mr. Kermode's solitary question is, why? Early indications are that he will be released at some point in the near future having had his wrists well and truly slapped. We now return you to your regular scheduled program. Wow. <laughs> Welcome everyone to episode 12 of the Have You Seen This podcast. My name is Paul Breen and I will be steering the ship this week. As you will have heard, unfortunately, Mr. Hammond is unable to be with us on this episode. To ensure we keep this trifecta of trivia alive, in addition to the insights and occasional rants of the legend that is Mr. Ben Mercer, we are pleased to have in the third co-host chair a voice you will recognise as our guest from episode 6. It's the one... And only, and thank God for that, Mr. Tristian Cooper. Gentlemen, how the devil are you? I am in shock. <laughs> now, I know you've done some like BBC Radio 4 stuff, but that was flawless. I, I was transported back. I was not prepared for that <laughs> at all. No, I don't think anyone very, was. Very, very exciting. I honestly have to say, I thought we'd actually tuned into a Radio 4 broadcast. That was brilliant. <laughs> Hello, greetings, everyone. I am not Ben Hammond. I am here as the third co-host. And can I just say thank you so much for inviting me back. I didn't know if I'd ever come back as a guest after last time's debacle. I just want to say thank you very much as I join the Waldorf and Statler of the podcasting community. <laughs> I don't know who those people are. Is that a compliment? Muppets. Oh, okay, awesome. And as always, we have a fabulous guest joining us on this episode. She is an actor. A singer-songwriter, a model, a producer, a writer, a director, and seemingly all-round polymath, Laura Jean Marsh. Wow, that was nice. How are you? Oh, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me, lads. You're welcome, you're welcome. Very much looking forward to, to chatting with you in a bit more detail later on. So what we do is, as always, start with the answer to the question that was posed at the end of the previous podcast. So the question in the last podcast was posed to us, and it was, what is the significance of the running time of James Cameron's 1997 smash hit Titanic. I'm going to open this to everybody else, but I did actually know the answer to this one. That's good, because I have no idea, and I was just going to Google it. Hammond was supposed to send me the answer for this, and I, he didn't do it. So. <laughs> Is it how many icebergs does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> Sadly not. What's the punchline to that joke? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know I didn't even know you were going to be asking that question so that was just me getting involved well, should, we, should we start with the actual run time which is 194 minutes Yeah, I mean that's a good guess isn't it so the run time being the same time that it took to sink it's the, the same uh, amount of time that it took for the Titanic to sink uh, hmm. so that's why he made it that running time there we go so, forgive me for this fuck you Hammond <laughs> That's a point to us, I think. I'm not sure where we sit in the standings now in the league this week. But. I guessed it, although I didn't actually put it on the Facebook because I didn't want to be ridiculed again. You do know the psycho thing last week was actually meant as a joke, right? It's not like there was 194 shower curtains given out at screenings for, uh, <laughs> for Psycho when the film yes. came out. We knew that was a joke. It's okay. Thank God. Do I pick up like half a point on Ben's behalf or because of the lie, Ben's just completely out the door at the moment? And well, you know, he's not here to answer for himself. So, uh, yeah. you know. You snooze, you lose. Yeah. 
That is true at the moment. He's currently digging up his garden. He's inspired by the Ray Fiennes film, The Dig. And I've seen mm. pictures and it looks great, but I don't think he's going to find a fifth century boat down there. I think, you know, so far all he's found is a disembodied action man from 1976. That's it. That's all he's yeah. managed to dig up. Before we move on to the next section, Paul, we need to announce the winner of our competition. We do indeed, yes. Now I've got like a little app wheel spinny thing. Oh. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to press it now. I put all the people who entered onto the spinny thing and I'll press it. And then what I'll do is I'll show the name. And if it's okay i think we should get our guest to read out yeah i can read so here we go it's, it's spinning it's spinning this is very exciting the excitement is palpable it is it's mr trevor cavill great name yeah yeah there we go. So awesome trevor. way to go trev congratulations what does he win i'm glad you asked he's won <laughs> our top five five films the from last year so he's won a load of blu-rays and also what we are sporting at the moment a a branded yeah. t-shirt we're going to give badges out to the runners up so anyone who emailed in will get a lovely have you seen this badge and yes thank you very much everyone for getting involved there are loads of people who actually sent us reviews who didn't actually email us in yeah, there's some really lovely words out there about us which is nice <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah, so let's move on to our next regular section. It's our big picks from the small screen. So two or three things that we've watched across the last two or three weeks. All right, Cooper, what have you got? Okay, well, I won't go into full detail, but as a personal piece of pride for me, uh, within the space of six days, I watched the entire MCU, all 23 of them from Iron Man right through to Spider-Man Far From Home. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Got me all ready for WandaVision. Watched the last episode of that this morning. No spoilers. No, 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 no spoilers at all, Ben. But did, did you enjoy it, Paul? I did, yes. Okay. Good. Did everyone Good. get up at eight o'clock this morning? to watch WandaVision. Am I the only one watching this in the evening? Pretty much, yeah. uh... I spoke to another person today who was like, yeah, got up, made my girlfriend watch at 8am in the morning. I said, all right, cool, you both Marvel fans? He went, nope just made to do it <laughs> speaking of franchise watching uh, the set of films that I've wanted to watch for quite some time now and I really enjoyed this was the Dirty Harry set of films five in total I've only ever seen the first Dirty Harry and the Deadpool not to be confused with Fox Marvel's film with Ryan Reynolds and I've not seen the three in the middle which is uh, Magnum Force The Enforcer and then Sudden Impact I mean Dirty Harry's famous obviously for the you know do you feel lucky punk and all that kind of thing and it, it kind of revolutionised action films at the time back in 1971 Magnum Force is a pretty darn good solid sequel where Harry Callahan is going up against these motorcycle cops who are turn vigilante and they're killing off all these crime lords around the city so Harry feels he has to step in but the enforcer is the story about these vets who've come back from the war they kidnap the mayor it's a bit of a mess but also now in 2021 it's a bit difficult and a bit kind of cringy to watch it with the views towards women all the way through the film there's so much misogyny and and just negative feeling towards the fact oh it's a woman on the force what's she gonna do and that was quite painful to watch unfortunately but things got better with sudden impact which was actually quite a quality one that's a female serial killer it starts out you think she's just a serial killer but then it turns out there's actually a personal connection to why she's killing these guys off and i actually enjoyed that a lot more than enforcers and then the deadpool is is actually quite almost parody but it's so much fun you've got liam neeson in there with the worst ponytail i've ever seen i mean this was 1988 and the man still looks like he's 65 i don't think he's ever actually been young so i thoroughly enjoyed the dirty harry films and if uh, if you're a fan and you've not seen them for a while i recommend you go back to them but um warning about the enforcer that's that's kind of a tough one to get through and the final little thing that i saw from the creators of rick and morty solar opposites has landed Ooh. on disney plus yeah i've heard about this is it good it's not as good as rick and morty but well worth a shot three episodes have dropped there's eight in total in the first season i'm looking forward to the rest of them that i'm not quite engaged in the way i was with rick and morty so hopefully laura have you had a thought about a few things that you've watched i've just been watching films for research really i i watched a couple of movies for another podcast which sounds like i'm cheating on 
on you. But I, I <laughs> Unbelievable. Sort of, I've been squeezing films in that have either been in reference to the research I'm doing for my next projects or I've been watching things and to prep for other interviews and stuff. But I can't say I've been watching anything too new, except for one of the ones you suggested. I've been sort of researching 60s and 70s, witchy, pagan, sort of inspired horror films, some of which are my favourite anyway, like they're kind of really quite weird 60s and 70s, kind of witchy films like Rosemary's Baby, Don't Look Now, I rewatched for probably like the 10 millionth time. I've got posters, I've got so many posters in my flat like different versions like po- Polish versions and US versions so I rewatched them nice. I also watched I was trying to find a good copy of Witchfinder General talking about problematic bloody hell I mean <laughs> yeah. the women are yeah. just like constantly being raped while people laugh which is lovely but it's you know it's all good research in terms of just like tone for me and what I'm preparing to do some cool weird stuff sort of next on the list of filming are you remaking the Witchfinder General then? yeah but with a woman <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and all the men get attacked. So I've just been watching loads of like weird old magical shit like that. The Wicker Man, obviously, which I hadn't watched for years. And actually, I, I think it's become quite comedic. Like people kind of take the piss out of it. But it's such a stunning film. And that yeah. last scene is really quite... Like, I was shocked, and, and I don't get shocked easily. And there's you know, so bleak. burning all these animals, and he's like, I don't know, it's just really incredible, that film. I know it's an obvious yeah. thing to say because it's such a classic, but... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a classic for a reason, isn't it? Yeah. Like, like anything. It's just amazing. Yeah. So I've been living in that kind of world at the moment, so that's what I've been up to. On the recommendation of you, Mercer, and very kindly lending me the Blu-ray, I watched Embrace of the Serpent, which is a film from 2015. It's a story of an Amazonian shaman who the last survivor of his people. There's two time periods of him as a young man and as an old man. And two Western scientists going into the Amazonian jungle to try and find this plant, this tree of life. It's wonderful. I'm glad you liked it. I thoroughly recommend uh, looking it out if you can. Uh, It's shot in black and white, which always looks glorious. The cinematography, you know, using those locations, as you would expect, looks stunning. The performances are wonderful. And it's a story about allowing dreams to drive you and the film has a very dreamlike aesthetic throughout it feels like you're watching a dream and the links to the serpent in in all aspects of the film both in the nature of the way the river shaped to dreams etc it's it's an absolutely wonderful film i thoroughly thoroughly recommend it to to anybody see it's stayed with me a long time afterwards as did my second film that i'm going to be recommending this week which is a film i've been wanting to watch for a long time because i i'm a big fan of single shot sequences and there was a film called victoria which is completely a single shot film from the opening frame to the closing frame the camera does not cut away there's no secret edits in there the whole film is shot and it's it's an over two hour film they filmed the whole thing three times and I think it's the first take the one they used was it the middle one second it might be the the middle one is the one they ultimately actually used it is phenomenal I mean from a filmmaker's perspective the technical aspect of it how to create a single shot film is stunning the performances are, are pretty great across the board some of the motivations for a couple of characters I found a bit suspect the main character Victoria why she would get involved with these guys in the script it's just fairly poorly written I think but as a journey it's incredible the film I've thought about that film so much since I watched Mm -hmm. it and I watched it at least a couple of weeks ago you know it's a good one when it stays with you like that hey yeah definitely definitely and it's just the logistics of that making that film and it's not small Mm. there are 
inverted comps action set pieces and there's larger cast sections across a fairly wide geographic area. There's sections where they jump, jump in a car and go to yeah. different locations and uh, it's it's incredible. So Victoria, thoroughly recommend it. And the third thing, dumbing it down, the entire series, original series of The Muppet Show <laughs> dropped <laughs> on Disney+. Plus. As I was a kid when The Muppet Show started in 1978, <laughs> I think it was. Fozzie Bear was my hero as a kid. I cannot stop watching it. It just makes me smile mm. it's bizarre it's completely bananas some of it it's amazing yeah. so funny yeah and when you get to the episodes when they have more anarchic guests on there so steve martin is, is the mm. guest and that was during his wild and crazy guy period the cocaine years yeah 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 it's insane <laughs> so yeah the muppet show is my other recommendation amazing i'm hankering for some sort of stupid action at the moment because i'm kind of miss watching these sort of big blockbusters in the cinema so i rewatched Zack snyder's man of steel from 2013 what starts off as a really interesting take on Superman origin story very quickly just descends into Rock'em and Sock'em Robots, the movie. Like, I love all the Krypton stuff, like Russell Crowe flying around on a giant dragonfly. Yes, please. Love it. <laughs> but the final 45 minutes is just really dull, like different shades of grey, massy CGI carnage as Superman and Michael Shannon's General Zod. I will find him! Just can have a competition <laughs> to see who can punch the hardest. Yeah, and who can knock as many skyscrapers down as they can. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. And like Superman just doesn't move the like the carnage away from the cities or just save anyone. That's basically what Superman's supposed to do. It's mad. Snyder, just like, he's a great visual storyteller, but either he doesn't know how to direct actors or he just doesn't care. Mm. He's just not interested in trying to get a good performance out of people. So like in all his films, the script has always been really shocking. And I think he just wants to get to that next, oh, here's the, here's the splash from the comic and we can just take that and put that into the film. It's really shit. I can't wait to um, watch all six hours of this in his Justice League cut because I probably... <laughs> I am going to watch it, aren't I? Because I'm an idiot. But I am going to sit through <laughs> it because I'm curious to see what that is. It's insane that it's happening. I mean, it's great that he gets to go back and play with his toy, but oh, it's just, I don't like the idea of just giving angry nerds in basements like the power to just say, no, we want this. Are you guys fans of Mark Maron? Yes. Podcaster? Yeah. Yeah. He calls yeah. Marvel fans unfuckable hate nerds. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it's pretty accurate. First of all, I am unfuckable. That is true. But I am not a hate nerd. I I, I don't hate on things. I, I I like to have discussions about stuff. Definitely. But uh, the unfuckable bit, I'll give you that. I think it's more like I really don't want to like typecast it, but I think it's more the DC fans, isn't it? Because they're the ones that get really like foaming at the yes. mouth. That's because the DC films are shit. <laughs> Apart, no, apart, from, apart from the first Wonder Woman. They're not, because we're Marvel fans, and that's why we're saying it, apparently. What else have you been watching, Mercer? I have also watched Mortal Kombat from 1995, Paul Anderson's oh. first film. Oh, I love that I, It's <laughs> so bad? stupid. It's, it's so, so stupid. It's, do, um, do you know what's really bad? I prefer Mortal Kombat 2. Really? Annihilation? Because yeah, the, the fight, the fight sequences that? are better. The, the choreo fight so choreography is better. Yeah. There are details about my family I don't remember, but I know that the, <laughs> the, the, the subtitle to the second Mortal Kombat film released in 97 is Annihilation. Mortal Kombat is a very silly, fun mix of genuinely decent fight choreography and some ropey special effects. There are points there in this film where they're on this boat and like Raiden, who's played by Christopher Lambert, who's doing an even more dodgy accent than the one he had in the Highlander <laughs> films. It's crazy. And he's on this boat and he's like talking about this Mortal Kombat something to do with people fighting. And they're literally, there's a star field in the background and the wind must get into the studio because you can see it billowing and it's meant to be like a starry field and it's just like you can literally see it moving and there's also there's a bit where two people are fighting in this forest and then in the, in the background you can quite clearly see a 
car driving by. It's so <laughs> shocking. But do you know what? Its heart is firmly in the right place and it's very faithful to the game. For better or for worse, it really, it sticks to it. I gave both of these films on my letterbox, two out of five, Man of Steel and Mortal Kombat. But if anyone asked me, should I watch Mortal Kombat from 95? I'd be like, yes, 100%. There's something really cynical about the way Snyder puts his films together. At least with Mortal Kombat, it's it's fun. They had a go and it was an independently funded film at the time as well. It, it's, it, yeah, it's CGI is not day well, but like, go on, have some fun. Amazing. It's great. If you love these people so much, you can mourn for them. Knock his block off. You're the winner. Well, next time. You can rock 'em, sock 'em with the rock 'em, sock 'em robots. Let's move on to our next regular section, which is the box office refund section. So, Mr. Mercer, take it away. Yes, it's back to me again because, as we've already covered, there's no Hammond this week. He can't do the podcast as he is busy doing a rewatch of every single Adam Sandler film he has ever made or produced for charity. <laughs> it's a nice little charity run that he's doing now. That's really good. Last time we checked in on him, he was up to 2006 Click, and the on site medics at the charity event described his condition as stable so you've probably already read about this in the news and it's been covered literally everywhere but there is a new streaming service on the block that's right i'm launching my very own streaming service mercer plus because apparently that's all you need to do these days to launch a streaming provider is grab a name and then put a plus after it and that's it you're good to go mercer plus will include some brand new content such as jingles all the way which is a weekly show that follows the hard work and dedication that i put into the jingles on this podcast and the washing up liquid lunch hour which is a live stream of me doing the dishes the correct way that is with the glasses first tidying them away Way, that's the way it's done. As well as getting these new programs and signing up to my new streaming service will also give you access to some historic content, such as embarrassing haircuts from university. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Paramount Plus has just been launched. It's actually not technically speaking a new service. It's a rebrand of CBS All Access over in the States. So as well as all the historic content that's being ported over from that, there's going to be a new Frasier TV series and TV shows based on hits movies, such as The Italian Job, Love Story, Flashdance, Fatal Attraction, and some other things that I'd never heard of, which I didn't bother listing. There are two tiers for this streaming service which is really weird. So for $4.99 a month, you, you still get some ads. If you pay double, $9.99, you don't get the ads in the streaming service. I guess the biggest thing that sort of impacts us as a cinema industry is that there is now a 45-day window maximum for the films that are going to appear in the cinemas and then appear on this service. That includes big hitters like Mission Impossible franchise. And some cases, the smaller films that are being released will have even less time on that exclusivity window in the cinemas. What do we all think of this? And do you think we've reached saturation point with streaming now? Sorry, first of all, is this just in the USA or is this going to be a worldwide scale out? Like HBO Max so far it is just the States for this one. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, the UK or other territories follow suit. I guess more information will come along with that. I saw the report and yeah, the, the new way forward now for cinema exhibitors is that we're going to be making all kinds of very strange random deals with film distributors with regards to their content still going into cinemas, but for how long, how big is the window? Uh, brave new world as they uh, call it, but it's still exciting mm. and streaming's not going to you know, be the death knell of cinema at all. It's just going to work more closely, I guess, uh, more in tandem with releases as we go also, forward. Thank God we've got it. I mean, what would we be doing in this situation without streaming? Laura, how many streaming services are you currently subscribed to, if you don't mind me asking? And like, have you got room in your heart for more or your purse for more? If there's something I desperately want to watch, then I'll subscribe to it. Like I wanted to watch a couple of films on Shudder. So mm, I, I signed okay, up yeah. to Shudder and, I, you know, I, I did that to support a couple of my friends films that we were on there yeah i watch like stuff on now tv is pretty cool you got quite a lot on there 
And then I just use Netflix and, and Amazon and that's it really. Do you think there will be a point where you're like, that's, I'm, I'm out. I do not need another streaming service in my life. Or is it all just about the content? It really just depends what people have got. Totally about the content. I mean, I'm a bit of a weirdo when it comes to film and TV anyway. So I think my niche needs, um, if something I desperately want to see something and there's only one place for it, I'll probably sign up to it if I really want to see it. But I won't jump on a bandwagon just because everybody's saying that there's a specific streaming service that's cool. But I think I'm, I'm big on streaming. I'm, I'm really happy that we've got it because otherwise we'd all be just crying outside cinemas, wouldn't we? So. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, we'll move on to the next thing. So UK cinemas have now been given the go-ahead to open on the 7th. 17th of May, which is great. The opening lineup of films at the moment looks like Black Widow and Peter Rabbit 2, that cinematic smash we are all very excited to see. We need big releases to try and encourage people to come back into the cinemas again to actually put their bum on the seat. Not really particularly interested in Peter Rabbit, but obviously the younger audience are going to be looking forward and families looking forward to going out and actually doing something together, which will be nice. But Black Widow is probably the one that people have been waiting most for. As we've already discussed, the MCU nerds have a reputation, but they have been hankering for this film. It's great it's going to be on the big screen i mean you know, there was all the worries that potentially it was going to go straight to disney plus but it is getting a cinematic release hopefully there'll be releases that actually encourage people to try and come out of what is currently everybody's safe zone cinemas are a very safe environment for people to come to yeah 100 and as we've said before the film going experience in the same way as any art is best enjoyed socially Mm. I was talking recently about this, about it's all the little rituals of going to the cinema that I miss, like standing, waiting to go in, looking at the other posters and all on the walls and seeing what's what else you could watch like another day. And then, you know, getting annoyed when people are rustling their popcorn or whatever, just all the little things that usually you hate. You're just like, I miss the whole like ritual of just going to the cinema and just having a laugh as you're walking out and like pretending you hated it when you didn't or like, you know, just like silly little in jokes and, yeah. you know, everything about going to the cinema. Is, I miss it so much. I really, really do. Tristan, do you think that date's going to stick, mate, for Black Widow? I believe so. Black Widow's worldwide release is May 7th. It's a bit weird that the government have chosen the 17th. I mean, why a Monday? You know, it's, uh, <laughs> do you not understand how cinema works? Uh, maybe it might, it might get pushed back to the 14th. Yeah. And I think cinemas in the US are starting to prep and get ready to open up now. And that's a very important factor because once the domestic box office kind of starts to recover, it's just going to help everyone else out. So I think Black Widow is going to stay on date. We've heard this week that Fast and Furious 9 has shuffled back to June now. Oh, oh I, I know you're a big fan of the franchise. Huge fan. I love Fast and Furious. That's so upsetting. I, I know. and It makes money and there are huge fans. Those are the kind of films, that, as, as Paul, as you rightly say, we need those big titles to bring people in. I think we can feel positive now. We've got a date and these dates apparently are set in stone. Apparently by June 21st, all the things like 50% capacity and all those other restrictions are then going to be lifted and dropped. Yeah. As we get into a very packed summer lineup of films, there's a wide range of uh, titles for customers to choose from. Very exciting. Yeah. So yeah, just the other two bits I had is uh, obviously MGM, Universal have got confidence because they've upped the date of Bond by a week. So it's going to come to the UK a week earlier than originally announced, mm. which is good. The thing that really annoyed me is finding out that the Oscar-nominated Nomadland is heading straight to Disney Plus in the UK. I was really looking forward to this to come out. I mean, it would have done really well for, for chains like Everyman and for Picture House. Mm. You know, we did yeah. really well with Three Billboards when that came out in the UK a couple of years ago. So yeah, Cody Zhao's Oscar-nominated Nomadland is coming mm. to Disney Plus on April 30th. Also, uh, what I saw about on uh, Nomadland as well is that it did say that it would be available
available in cinemas once they reopen so even though it's going yeah. to a streaming service I, I'm assuming that Disney are going to be making that uh, available for cinema mm. exhibitions this will be a month or so after streaming so who knows if anyone will actually come and watch it there are going to be people who are chomping at the bit to get back into the cinema and watch those types of films so I personally would rather watch it on a big yeah, screen yeah. yeah great no let's go again so now's the time to turn our spotlight onto our guest, a writer, director, actress. Laura has had various roles across the industry, and in addition to this, has modelled and is the lead singer and songwriter for Screaming Ballerinas, who have supported the likes of Kaiser Chiefs and the Mighty Boosh. She is currently in post-production on Giddy Stratospheres, her feature film writing and directing debut. So, what started your love of film, and do you remember the first film you saw, and possibly the cinema you watched it in? Well, I, I've always been fascinated by films, even when I was super, super tiny. My family are all musicians, so there was that was kind of the family business. So that's why I went into being a songwriter and eventually being in a band. But I was so obsessed with films when I was even... One of my favourite films from the age of eight was The Shining. <laughs> So I remember, <laughs> wow. I remember finding the videotape of The Shining in like one of our cupboards and being left to my own devices and saying, that sounds fun, The Shining. Stuck that on. And weirdly, even though it was obviously horrific, just being completely mesmerized and completely engulfed in this world and the music and everything about it. So even though it scared the crap out of me, I remember it feeling like what you said earlier about the film staying with you. I had that feeling as a, as a little girl about The Shining, like even though I couldn't get those two, the twins out of my head, I um, was like, I want to make stuff and I want to make things look cool. And so I always wanted to write music or make things or draw things or just like do stuff with my hands. But I don't think when you're little, you quite know what that's going to end up being until you get, you know, to a certain point. The first film I saw in the cinema was The Land Before Time with the dinosaurs. And apparently I was like four and um, my mum said, we're going to go see the dinosaur film. And I just didn't understand what a cinema was. So I thought we had to stay over. So I went and like <laughs> packed a bag and put my slippers on. And apparently everyone laughed at me because I was so cute. <laughs> and so I insisted on taking my, my slippers to the cinema to watch the dinos. Okay. But yeah, I've always been a cinephile, weird little spooky child. So I'm glad that um, I'm now making stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. So you're currently in post-production on Giddy Stratospheres, a film that you've written and directed. Could you let us know a little about the story and how you came to write it? Yeah. So, well, as you said before, I was I was part of quite a niche sort of indie rock music scene in London. I kind of bailed on art school and moved to London when I was in my late teens, early 20s. And I started a band and I also used to run club nights, put live music on and I DJed. And that world was really exciting world at the time there was lots of amazing music and lots of bands that all knew each other and there was lots of cool stuff going on it was a really exciting time my band were kind of happening at that time as well we were supporting lots of big acts but it was a very messy hedonistic time for all of us and I decided after years of being a musician and then ending up acting and writing and making my own stuff that in the first lockdown, I went for a run and I heard, uh, I was Spotify, just started playing some old tunes from that era. And I was like, oh, shit, I should write something about that. And I was going to, I was supposed to make a feature film during the first lockdown called Dave's Dead, which was like pure comedy about somebody hiding a dead body in a house. And it was just completely daft. And she poisoned her boyfriend with a 
birthday cake and it was just really silly and it's something probably I'll never make now because it's just so doesn't make sense in the current climate to make films like that yeah I just wrote the wrote a feature film in about two weeks and started reaching out to the band that wrote the title song, The Long Blondes. It's a dark comedy. So I reached out because I've been in a few TV series, comedy series. Like I was in, I've worked with Nick Helm before, on Uncle. I'd been in Peep Show. I'd met quite a few casting directors and new comedians. And Richard Herring was just like, had to play my dad. That was just incredibly important to me. And what, was, awesome. what was really cool was that I wrote this script I felt so passionate about it because it's really weird. Like I've written a lot of shit, but with this, I was like, well, no one can mess with this because it was my life. Like I can't, you know, like no one can say, you don't know what you're doing because I was, I was there. <laughs> so I managed to get all the, you know, lots of musicians, lots of people supporting me. And I also managed to send the script out to all the actors I wanted and everyone said yes. Wow. So you know, everyone was really into my script. It was a really magical, it was a scary thing because the storyline's quite heavy. Uh, there's like, quite a lot of like heartache in there that's from the time, period of time. I lost a couple of people and there was just some heavy shit in there. So the storyline, although it's sort of like based on truth, there is stuff in there that's not, you know, completely back on because it is a dark comedy. So there's lots of silly, silly shit in there as well. But yeah, so that's that's what happened. And then we made it. Being a filmmaker myself, I, I know how difficult it is to, to get any money from anyone to, to support you. So how, how did you go about financing the film? It was like a real hustling situation. I think because the era I was writing about, there's quite a cult-like sort of fascination with that particular time and the music that was kind of circulating and, and the people that were involved. So I, I, put, I sort of put my feelers out for people that might want to support it. And we made the film on a really small budget, but I, because people were really into the script, I managed to get sort of things that should have cost a lot of money for a lot less. And now we've got the support of our distributors. So it was hard. Like we were, there were some weeks where we were like, oh shit, we're fucked. <laughs> We need some more money and then we'd hustle more money somehow. And just, but there was something about the support I had from everyone, which made getting those last bits of money that we needed together when we needed them, basically. Fantastic. That's wow. brilliant. So quite a serious question, but I think it's a really important one. So as a woman in the movies, how difficult is it to still get a project off the ground? And have you experienced the prejudice that still pervades the industry? I'll be completely honest. No, I, I, I haven't found, I, I've definitely been on the receiving end of, of sexism. But I think from years of dealing with that in various different situations within either the music industry or the film industry or the modeling industry, I've become quite a tough motherfucker. Sorry, am I allowed to you swear? You are indeed. Yeah, go I'm for so it. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. No, I, I swear like so much. Someone said to me the other day, actually, this is quite on um, brand for what we're talking about, but someone said, you swear a lot for a girl. <laughs> and I was like, I told him, I told him to fuck off. <laughs> but yeah, it's, so, you know, being a model... And, you know, and being in a band, being the lead singer of a band, but also being the songwriter. Like, you know, I turn up at a venue with my band who were all boys and no one would talk to me. The sound engineer wouldn't talk to me. Right. You know what I mean? Mm. And I'm like, well, yeah. I'm the, you know, and like, I couldn't possibly be in charge. Do you know what I mean? So there was, that was going on a lot. I, I had issues with the band being signed because it was a female fronted band and they were saying that there aren't any female fronted rock bands that do well and you know all sorts of shit like that going on in my like late teens early 20s but I think it made it definitely made me strong because dealing with sexism casual sexism your whole life when when you come from a family of creative men I have two older brothers that are creative my dad's a creator my mum's incredibly creative but she's is a mum and a psychotherapist <laughs> so you know the, the creative part of my personality has come from quite male energy so I, I think it was quite hard 
getting my head around why no one wanted to, why no one would want to listen to you when you're younger but I'm an old lady now you know so I, I think I've been through I've had enough no I am actually older than you might think but I've had a lot of knockbacks you know through being constantly nearly getting a record deal constantly being told the problem being is that you're a woman you do get tougher and tougher and tougher and I think it's helped me become a better writer because you get all these cool um, ideas for things, life experience. And because I've had those experiences and being a model, like being a model and being an actress, I've got some amazing stories. I mean, like the worst shit you could possibly imagine. You know, everything from turning up to set and being told that, you know, after doing three auditions that I'm being sent home because my boobs weren't big enough so that they were going to upgrade an extra to my job. Being told to put my hand on another actress's leg in a holiday advert because the director was clearly a pervert. Like, just the maddest stuff. But I think because I've always had a sense of humour, I've always laughed it off. And actually, as I've hit my mid-30s, I, I look back on that and I'm like, it's not really that funny, is it? <laughs> it's not really that funny at all. But I've ri- written about it, you know, and I'm trying to make it into, like, without sounding totally wanky, like, into art, you know. And I've included quite a lot of that stuff in my current, with Giddy Stratospheres, but also into, into some of my newer stuff as well. Um, so the answer to your question is, yes, like, it's it can be really shit, but then it can also be really hard being a man in this industry as well it can be really hard being from all different kinds of backgrounds you know there's prejudice everywhere and I think the key is to to prove yourself and to not let the dickheads get you down so you've touched on it already but how has the pandemic affected you how's it impacted you over the last year did you film while the pandemic was in swing did you have to like follow rules and stuff and set yeah yeah we did and we had a really big cast and a really big crew as well and was there like live music scenes and yeah stuff? we were very very sort of uh me and my dop sussed every possible idea out to make it work so that for example when we were shooting crowd stuff we we did sort of like tracking shots where we'd move through the crowd and we'd have people peeling off or when we wanted it to look really really fucking busy we were just incredibly anal about where people were standing yeah so we were just it was just it was incredibly planned out and then again without sounding cheesy like my cast and crew on Giddy Stratospheres every single one of them and there was a big crew and cast were just so supportive and amazing so everyone stuck to COVID regulations everybody wore masks when they weren't on camera if they were acting no one pissed about with the rules and we didn't have anyone I mean it was really lucky because we were like we have to just accept that we might lose someone one day where they say oh I've come into contact with somebody who may or may not have it I'm not going to be able to come in and it didn't happen once (laughs) <laughs> like, wow, and we had like 30 cast alone. And I, I know it, it's probably rubbing it in for some people that haven't been able to achieve that, but it was really lucky, like unbelievably lucky. But yeah, it, it was tough. But at the same time, we just, we weren't down on it. We just made sure we just, we didn't complain about having to wear masks and constantly covering ourselves in bleach. <laughs> no, not bleach. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, and everyone was in it. Everyone was on board. No one, no one pissed about, you know, everyone, everyone stuck to the rules. And I actually think that we were in some ways quite lucky that lots of people were available. <laughs> You know, I don't know whether our Richard Herring or Nick Helm would have been available. You know, they might have been doing other stuff, but they were like, oh, we're free. You know, we'd love to, you know, maybe, maybe uh, I wouldn't have been able to get the cast and the support if people weren't sort of keen to work. I don't know. Yeah. Possibly. Fantastic. You mentioned that you've got a distributor in place for your film. So what are your plans, hopefully, for the finished film? Are you going to go the festival route? Are you going to go theatrical or streaming? So we've got um, a UK distribution company called Bulldog who are going to be 
deciding where the film, we're, well, we're going to be deciding with them what we're going to do with the film once we're picture locked in April. And then after Bulldog, we're going to be releasing it in America and worldwide with another distribution company. But I haven't announced that yet. We're pretty sure that we know who we're going to go with. And I'm being really chill about it because I don't want to be a princess about it. Because the thing is, we just, you know, there's, there's more important things going on with, with everyone being in a pandemic and we don't know what's going to happen. If we do have to go straight to whatever the streaming service is, then so be it. But the plan is, is that because it's such an indie rock music sort of themed thing, I want to have a, a big event screening in, in each like uh, music city. Nice. So one in London, one in Liverpool, one in Manchester, one in Leeds, one in Sheffield, one in, in Edinburgh. Right. Yay! <laughs> and Sheffield is... Sorry, I'm a oh, Sheffield boy. Well, well, the, the Long Blondes are a Sheffield band uh, who are the title song is by them and there's some other bands in our soundtrack as well it's very much like Sheffield is probably going to be nice. one of the big ones yeah so so that's the plan I mean I'm just a bit of a sort of little disco pig so I just want to have like a party in every city and make sure that we at least do that uh, and have some live music because some of these bands are so cool even though they're, they're all little a little bit older now <laughs> it'd be nice to be able to have celebrate what the film's about at least but you know I'm not I'm trying not to try not to I don't want to get bummed out if something happens and we have to go straight to you know something fantastic what is your favorite guilty pleasure so either one film or maybe a franchise that is often derided by critics and audiences but you and and you may even recognize it as a bad film or a bad franchise but you just enjoy it you love it there's two films that i watch if i really need cheering up and i don't know i think one of them definitely was slagged off the other one i think wasn't but if I need cheering up, then it's either Groundhog Day or Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. The original. No, neither of those are guilty pleasures, as far as I'm concerned. Neither concern. of those are guilty pleasures. No, <laughs> no, not at all. They're fantastic. Well, yeah, films. but they're also kind of, I don't know. I think Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was really slagged off at the time. I think it, it was, was probably mid middling reviews, but uh, I love it. Steve Martin and Michael Caine, what's not to love? Okay, good. I think it just shows what a geek I am that I think they're guilty pleasures. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's it for me. Those are my, they, they genuinely are the films that if, if I'm thinking like, oh, I really need to be cheered up. I need to see Steve Martin being repracked. Yeah, um, definitely. Slicking his hair down at the dinner table and with a cork on a fork. <laughs> like, what more do you want? Can I, can um, I go to the bathroom, please? Can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> Not mother. Not mother. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And that's problematic now, you see. You wouldn't get away with that no, now. That's very true. But um, that's very true. But yeah, I think they, I, they, that's the honest answer. I'm, I'm so sorry it's not more. Nothing Gross to apologise for. Those don't need to <laughs> apologise for at all. Think of Warder Street and you'll think of film. Now, moving on to our next regular feature, it's our in-review section, so I'm going to pass over to Mr. Mercer to introduce the two films in review. Yeah, so for this podcast, I chose the two films, so I apologise in advance to all four of you. There's not four of us. Mr. Hammond can't be with us, because obviously at the moment he is away at the abattoir, finally getting rid of his My Little Pony collection. <laughs> Frantically stuffing them down the drain. <laughs> yeah, so I picked the two films for this podcast. So the first film we've got is The News of the World, which was released in 2021 on Netflix. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd, and I'm here tonight to read the news from across this great world of ours. So they pay you to tell stories. I ain't never heard of that as a thing a man can do. Well, it's not a rich man's occupation, as you can see. I'm not 
gonna hurt you! Do you understand English? Dolly, I call but uh friend. Says your name is Johanna Leonberger. Indians took you when they attacked your family six years prior. The mother, father, and sister were well, they passed. So in this film, five years after the end of the Civil War, Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd crosses paths with an abandoned 10-year-old girl, forced to return her to her aunt and uncle. Kidd agrees to escort the child across the harsh and unforgiving plains of Texas. However, the long journey soon turns into a fight for survival as the traveling companions encounter danger at every turn, both human and natural. That plot that I've grabbed from the internet has sidestepped one major plot detail, which is that Tom Hanks goes around reading the news to everyone, which is why it's called The News of the World. And it isn't just a film about the now defunct newspaper based in the UK. Who wants to go first on this? I actually really enjoyed this movie. The vibe wasn't necessarily the most positive about this film. Now, I'm not saying this film was Captain Phillips, which was obviously the last time Greengrass and Hanks worked together, but I'm a sucker for a Western. Anything with Tom Hanks in, I will watch. I really, really enjoyed this. And whilst it's the story is it's fairly slight, really, and it takes a long time to tell, I think it was yeah. actually told very well. I thought the action sequences, inverted commas, the, the shootouts were, one in particular was particularly well staged. Logically, it worked and made sense. I thought the performances, Hanks always delivers. I thought the, the girl was absolutely fantastic. She's great. She just lit up the screen every time she was on it. She was wonderful. And the supporting cast were, were great as well. The cinematography was fantastic. Westerns lend themselves to great cinematography, those great sweeping vistas. Yeah. And the shots were, again, very, very well handled by Greengrass. I really enjoyed it. I've, I haven't really got a bad word to say about the film. It's not the best film in the world, don't get me wrong. And to say, I think Captain Phillips as a team up between the two of them was a better film. But I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that it's not really Greengrass's foray to do this kind of film. It's usually much more sort of handheld, digital, like Captain Phillips, when you think of the Bourne films as well. He's all about the shaky camp, whereas when this, he's working with Darius Wolski, who he's never worked with before as a cinematographer, and he's done things like, randomly, Sicario 2 and a couple of other things like Prometheus. So yeah, the two of them together worked so well in this. It looked absolutely gorgeous. The scenes flying over the new Mexico landscape, even with the CGI buffalo, um, didn't detract from just how beautiful this film looks. It looks absolutely gorgeous. And the transfer on Netflix was incredible. It's like a 4K transfer. It just looked brilliant. Those scenes with the danger were great. I think the tension building was fantastic by Gringoss in those moments, but the whole sort of scenario leading up to them just felt very manufactured. There are bits in this where I didn't quite buy why characters would do something and it just felt tacked on to try and make it more exciting, make this like journey across Texas just fraught with danger. And it probably didn't need to be um, at every turn. But yeah, it was a great yarn. I, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was, it was it was good fun. It was nice. I think you think I hated it, but I didn't hate it. I, I, I thought the cinematography was absolutely incredible. And I'm actually quite a big fan of, of Darius Wolski because he, he's done some amazing shit. He's done The Crow, Crimson Tide. I'm not a, the biggest fan of Sweeney Todd and Alice in Wonderland, Tim Burton's films, as I think they're a bit daft. They're not his best work, but the, but the cinematography is incredible. Like, incredible also i don't know if you you guys are fans of with and i yeah oh yeah but he did the rum diary uh with bruce robinson uh which is just really cool and i'm like this guy is cool dude you know uh and i think he's doing a couple of ridley scott films next and so even though i i have to be honest with you like i do get a bit sick of tom hanks just because he's always making the same face how dare um, <laughs> <laughs> i love i love him so i'm not saying that you know like two of my favorite films like apollo 13 is one of my favorite films ever and I think he's great. I think I think he's amazing, but I do 
I do think that he he looks so at the times like he's waiting for his lunch uh, lunch break. <laughs> like I, I just think like he's doing his furrowed brow and he's carrying this child in a poncho. I found some of it a little bit long winded and a bit boring, but there were some moments that I thought were absolutely stunning. Like the bit where he comes out and he finds her in her blanket and it's that blue dawn. And mm. she's just standing. That was like one of the most haunting things I've seen in a film in a long time. Because it could it look, almost looked like scary. So I thought the cinematography was beautiful. I thought that, that some of the villains were a little bit daft. Like when they were just so, so theatrical. Hey, Pam! You're good for a man of years! Ain't you just so damn tired of all this? Help me. Did we have our body and soul broke out there? Seems an awful thing for it to end like this when you could just join us. This world, Here. rich pickets for some, slim pickets for the rest of us. Here. God damn it! You go. Take the horses and go. I shoot, you go. Like, it was like, like almost like a Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> it was lying. It was lying when he goes, I... I'm coming for you. (laughs) And I was like, right, he's really going for the Oscar. But it was not very scary. Like, and you know, I I thought that that group of dudes that were trying to nick her, I just thought they were a little bit silly and a bit like not scary. And I think they could have, I think they overlooked the script a lot. And I'm being really tight on it because I did think it was great. But I just think sometimes with these 38 million dollar <laughs> films they could have thought about maybe we should make the scary people really fucking scary and not just go for this sort of like painted by numbers western thing and i love a western as well but i just think sometimes when a film's really beautiful and they've obviously got a lot of money i just think maybe you should think about the details a little bit more that's my honest opinion on it i don't really have too much to add to be honest because she you guys have all said roughly what I was thinking, although I, I kind of disagree. I, I liked the the group of guys who were trying to take her away because that kind of stuff happened back mm. in those days a lot. The, uh, there were a lot, certainly a lot of cliche Western tropes thrown in there, but I just felt that the film kind of presented them and then managed to circumvent them. Like, for instance, the shootout, when I saw the trailer, I just assumed from the trailer, ah, oh, the shootout's going to be the end of the film, like it is with every single Western. But And I don't want to give away any spoilers, but it turns up in a different place in the film, and it worked perfectly and I, in a nice way and in a good surprising way of like, oh, so this is the sequence on the rocks and and I love the way that played out and then the story, and I mean, I was involved from the first five minutes. I love this film. It's one of my top five of the year so far. Yes, I know we're only at the start of March, but I have a top five already and I think, I thought it was beautiful and yeah, Tom Hanks is great. You know what you're getting with Tom Hanks, but I felt this was more akin to his performance in Road to Perdition where he plays a slightly darker character because for the first half hour or so, he couldn't give a monkeys about this girl mm-hmm. and then what happens over the next hour and a half is this wonderful bond, a father-daughter bond that starts to build between them. But what, what did she say? She said you've been calling her the wrong name. Her name's Cicada. Well, it's Johanna now. Johanna Leonberger. This man? Do you go by Keitha? Do you go by Keitha? She says she got no home. No Kiowa family, neither. You see the hair? They cut it when they're in mourning. This child is an orphan twice over. 
Of course, the, the language barrier is a major problem, but we've seen Tom Hanks bond with a volleyball before, <laughs> you know, and an entire film was based around that. So it, he's one of the few actors I think can actually make this work. I think if it was anyone else, this film would be getting a lot more negative reviews and ugh. But because it's Tom Hanks and because he's he is Mr. Likeable from Hollywood, I, there's just something in there. But there's a, there is a darker tinge to his character of Captain mm. Kidd. You feel that at any given moment, he could turn around and put a bullet in the kid's head and just walk away from the situation. He doesn't need this hassle. And that comes across, I think, very powerfully, which makes it even more better when it gets to the end. And again, I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but there is an emotional payoff right at the end of the film. Not a gun shoot, not a big stagecoach fight, but a beautiful moment between two human beings who have made a connection during this journey. I think what's important and what I certainly took from it was just that relationship building between Captain Kidd and, and the young girl. And, and then you get that payoff at the end. Utterly superb film, in my opinion. Cool. And so that leads me on to the next film that I picked, which was the documentary from Dogwoof, available on VOD now. That's 76 days. And that was also released this year. Six Days is a documentary set in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic that captures the struggles and human resilience in the battle to survive the spread of the disease in Wuhan, China. The first 20 minutes of this, you go into it and it's sort of about... Yeah, about the sort of the first 15, 20 minutes of this, where you realise there's no narration, there's no talking heads, there's no context for what is happening in the documentary. It opens with a woman screaming from behind a mask because she can't see the body of a relative who's just recently deceased and is being carried away in the hospital. And it just goes off in that direction. And, you know, instead of having moments sort of stitched together by conventional documentary techniques, it's bold enough to just let the footage speak for itself. And this footage is insane. Like, China is basically a communist state. Like, they are running a really tight ship over there. And the fact that this footage exists and that, you know, one of the people accredited for directing the film and getting the footage is, is anonymous because he just doesn't want to get into trouble. Like, uh, yeah, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't believe what I, was, what I was watching. I mean, you could, you could argue maybe successfully that maybe this is not the time for a, a, a documentary about the pandemic to be released, that it is, you know, we're still living it. It's not finished. It's not going anywhere. It's a worldwide event that's had far-reaching repercussions and is this the time to really be watching films like this and I think the answer here is yes because it has a very specific sort of 76 days three months in Wuhan when this thing first emerged the speed in which these guys got this out because they filmed that in, in March 2020 through to yeah March 2020 was when they stopped filming and the fact that it's out now available for us to watch like there must have been an insane turnaround to get it out and that is not at the detriment of the filmmaking process this is just a stark uncompromising amazing documentary this is why this format exists i was captivated from beginning to end i thought it was incredible i thought i really incredible i have to say I, I'm, I'm kind of in two camps with this because i agree with everything you're saying it, it's a, it's an amazing achievement the film was shot in four separate different hospitals by different v filmmakers because as i was watching i was thinking how the hell have they jumped from all the you know from one hospital to the other surely that's breaking the all the the, the covid rules but then the credits obviously clues you into that. I've got to say, Ben, you've you've really put me through an emotional ringer uh, with this choice because, as you say, from the start, you're just captivated. The, 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 I've seen a million TV shows and films that are set in hospitals, and I know that they're all actors, they're all well-performed, well-written, well-directed, but this was real. This was real people. I feel like I watched almost a snuff documentary film because there is at one point where a lady passes away, and then you're seeing the aftermath of that, where they're stripping the body and trying to get that bracelet off, that scene with the bracelet, which then you get a payoff later when 
when the daughter comes to collect her goods. I was just in a, it was brutal, it was harrowing, and I was just in a, an emotional state for the whole duration of the film because I knew I was watching real mm. people. This was real footage, not acting, not performing. You had the, the doctors and the nurses losing their shit with all those people who were trying to push in through the door quite early on. Come on. And they're screaming, cooperate with us. We'll get round to you, but please stop pushing. Stop. You know, you, you've got a guy there who's got his foot so in the scary. door. You can't see it, but you know that. Yeah, you, you, you were like, you're terrified. And you see all these people there, and I clocked all of their faces. And then at the end of the film, I know that, I know that quite a few of them didn't make mm. it. They're not, they're not around. They're, they're not alive anymore. I'm actually getting quite emotional now because I cried several times during this as I was watching it, which I, I do believe is the right response. Whether it's a film to watch now, though, I don't know. I think this film is important. Don't get me wrong. I just wish, I kind of wish I, it was maybe a year from now and I wasn't mm. watching it because this stuff's happening now. It is a very difficult watch. The thing, only thing I would say is it's more of a historical document. For me, documentaries still have a narrative structure regardless of what they are. And this, this didn't have that. It is, I think, important to have been recorded, and I think it's important for people ultimately to watch. And it is, as you rightly say, extremely harrowing. That opening sequence with the the, the unfortunate lady screaming and screaming and screaming is just devastating. But then it sort of settles into just showing you life as it has been going on. But then the it gets to, to, towards the sequence at the end when the the head nurse is her job is to sit and go. Right, I now need to ring this person because these are the effects of the person that's died during this period and I need to get them back to them. We'll see what they want to do with these things. And I wanted I wanted to know more about that. And you got glimpses of it throughout where they focused on a couple of the nurses uh, and their relationships that were building but then, the, then it sort of pulled back from that again. And I, I wanted to know how it was affecting them. And they were talking about all these benches that have been set up in the hallways. They weren't for the patients. They were actually for the, the nurses and the doctors to be able to sit down when they got five seconds mm. to be able to take some rest time. But there wasn't really any focus on that aspect of it. And I, so for me, that's what I mean by sort of narrative structure. I, I wanted there to be something so you could see how degrading it was in terms of people's mental state and physical state not only those the victims mm. of, of the disease but also those the, the effects on the people that were trying to save them and look after them i definitely agree that there could have been potentially more made of certain aspects of it and again when i'm talking about this like rush around the fact that it was churned out so quickly if it had more time to breathe and being released later maybe they would have found those those nuggets but in terms of a narrative there definitely is a narrative because you've got the 76 days of the lockdown you've got the beginning of the lockdown you've got the end of the lockdown and then you've got as well this sort of um granddad character not a character real person but they've got this person who starts off wanting to leave you check in with him again and you, he's calling his his son you check in on him again he's you know he's wandering around he keeps trying to escape it's almost sort of comical there's like a bit of levity in this documentary so there are definitely narrative elements in the documentary so i, w I wouldn't say that it, it doesn't have those it definitely has those elements but i think that is like overall that is a recommendation for the film though yeah yeah definitely definitely <laughs> Thank you.
So let's move on to our review spin-off question. The first one, inspired by the news of the world, what, in your opinion, is the best film, TV series, or TV episode about journalism? For me, as soon as I read that in the notes, there is just one film that jumps to my head, and that is All the President's Men. The 1976 classic film about the Watergate break-in, starring Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford uh, as, uh, is it Bernstein and Woodward? Bob. Yeah. Carl Bernstein on line one. One? Yep. Mercy. I think I got a lead on Dolph. Oh, I just, I got it. What? I just talked to him. I just hung up from him. Bernstein, listen, it goes all the way to Stans. What are you talking about? It goes all the way to Stans. He gave the check to Stans for the committee to reelect. Did he say that? He said it. I've got it in my notes. Jesus. It's down on record, Bernstein. And that money winds up in the back of a Watergate burglar? Yes. Fantastic. I'm coming home. Okay. It's, it's just a flawless film, the way it's written, directed. The script is so tight and amazing. And you've got two central performances who are just absolutely riveting. So I mean, the, re- the rest of the cast are fantastic. Jack Warner's excellent. Jason Robards, I believe, won an Oscar for his performance. Absolute sheer class. It's one of those few films I would say is an absolute classic. I can't believe anyone would ever have anything derogatory to say about that film. That would be my first choice, and I'm hoping that none of you have also picked it. <laughs> no, I actually, it's a really, really good one. Like... What a brilliant film. Nice one. LJ, what did you have for this? Well, I was going to say Brass Eye. I don't know if you guys are fans nice. of Chris Morris. Yeah, oh, yes. Um, yes. But then I, then I yes. thought I was, it was a little bit too... I think I talk about Brass Eye a lot, so I decided to go for Nathan Barley, which is another Chris Morris classic, which is Charlie, which was written by Charlie Brooker as well, mm. which we all, I'm mm. hoping we all love. Oh, yeah. We love a bit of Charlie. Oh, yeah. But it, it can perfectly encapsulates 2005 London Shoreditch life, which I was a twat in. So, <laughs> you know, it, I, it's like, at the time, it was so perfect. And, and I still, me and my mates from that era of twatty dim we still say you're being a bit nathan barley mate it's a bit nathan barley you know like it's just so it's so perfect for that wanky hipster nonsense yeah i rate that easily the best thing i ever read what's the second best thing you've ever read like books and shit or books like heidi is that a book yeah i reckon I think anyone that's a comedy fan, a British comedy fan, and likes Charlie Brooker and likes Chris Morris and hasn't seen the series, it's so funny. It's so spot on. So I have 2000's Almost Famous, Cameron Crowe. This is a film I... It's actually was in my top five films of all time for a very, very long time since I watched it when it first came out. I rewatched it recently, actually, in 2019 at the Prince Charles. They had a 35mm print and it still holds up, thank God, because I was worried it was going <laughs> to... Because Cameron Crowe's uh, work has been a bit patchy recently, but no, it is fantastic. The scene in it where, I mean, we all want to be a kid journalist working for the Rolling Stone magazine, going around with essentially the like a fake Led Zeppelin. It's the sort of the moments in the film where it reflects on the interplay, the relationship between the people and the bands and just the fact that they're living this just complete fake life and then it all comes to a head when they're in this plane and they think it's going to go down and they think they're all going to die and they all come out saying exactly what they feel about each other ah! I once hit a man in Dearborn, Michigan a hit and run I hit him kept on going I don't know if he's alive or dead but I'm sorry not a day goes by and I don't see his face oh my god yeah, I slept with Martin Dick. I did too. I waited until you broke up with Dick. Me too. I also slept with Leslie when you were fighting. You slept with Jeff? 
Yeah, but it didn't count. It was the summer we decided to be free of all rules. It's absolutely perfect. And the fact that he's there like as a fly on the wall, writing it all down and uh, sending it off to the, the Rolling Stone magazine. So yeah, almost famous. I love that film. Nice. Love it. Good choice. Good choice. Quality yeah. choice. So Quality. my choice is uh, not quite as sunny. This is from 1984, a film directed by Roland Joffe. Uh, it's called The Killing Fields. So Ooh, it's a good true, true story uh, wow. of a yeah. US journalist from his, taken from his memoirs about his time when he was trapped in Cambodia during the time of the Khmer Rouge and Pol Pot. During year zero, when he was basically he killed two million of his own people for being in inverted commas undesirable, unbelievably harrowing film to watch. Mm. The guy who plays Dithpran, who was the the local Cambodian that that helped the journalists sort of get around, ultimately was played by a doctor from Cambodia who'd been through all of this because they couldn't actually get an actor, a Cambodian actor, to play the part, and he'd lived through all this. He, in fact, during his time there had lost his wife and child because under the dictatorship, she wasn't allowed to contact him to let him know that she was basically dying while she was having the baby. She lost her life and the baby lost his life as well. But she knew if she contacted her husband, he would end up being killed. So th this was an incredibly personal film for him to ultimately make his first time as an actor. He won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor that year. Mm. It's an incredible film. But mm. so yeah, 1984, The Killing Fields, that's my choice. So really quickly, just want to move on to the next question, which is inspired by the announcement of a load of COVID-19 related films, but especially the recent news that Kenneth Branagh is going to play Boris Johnson in a TV drama about the crisis. Give us your quick, and I mean very quick, Tristian, elevator pitch for your own pandemic related film or TV series. So this one is a satirical comedy. It's going to be directed by Armando Iannucci. And nice. it's uh, basically politicians get locked down in Westminster in Parliament when there's an outbreak of empathy amongst politicians and they get locked <laughs> they get locked down inside inside the parliament building and it's a, a satire on uh, on that versus the pandemic. Amazing. All the usual Ianucci crowd, I'm sure, sure we, we would be involved in that because they get it. So, I mean, you know, obviously Chris Morris is very much knows uh, Ianucci uh, and all those sort of the, all that crowd. So Peter Capaldi. Yeah. I think they could come up with something remarkable. Simply made a mistake. Oh, you got me. on oh. the record and off the record fucking mixed up. What would have happened if like George Martin had done that? We'd have no fucking Beatles, that's what. No, I don't give a fuck about that. I've had to fucking sit next to Paul McCartney at fucking Checkers. I actually came up with an idea the other day, which I, I vetoed, which was about a kid that's suffering from basically being beaten up by her stepdad in lockdown. And she escapes to another dimension, another realm through his nostrils and gets sucked <laughs> up into his, <laughs> and up his nose. And then finds herself in like kind of like Wonderland, but it'll be a bit more like Pan's Labyrinth, yeah. And it's like really, really, really just dark and strange. And I just decided that Ariaster is going to direct it, <laughs> and it's gonna, <laughs> and it's gonna have the kid from News of the World in it, and Tom Hanks can play it. Wow, nice. Why the nose? Was he a drug addict? I just or? no. I just had this vision one day. I was thinking because I was, I was I was reading something about how something horrible about how violence at home is escalating, yeah. and I just thought how disturbing it must be not to be able to escape through the walls in your house if you're being abused. Yeah, and then I thought if you're a little child and you're imagining how to escape, 
how could you escape? And knowing what I was like when I was little, just imagining always wanting to escape to another world. I was like, up the nose, clearly. One nose. Yeah, one on the nose. <laughs> well, I've gone for a comedy. <laughs> um, I, didn't, I didn't realize that this, <laughs> on that yeah, oh, this exercise could be quite harrowing. Um, but yeah, I suppose yeah, <laughs> it really could be. Uh. So, <laughs> comedy uh, directed by Eaton Cohen, set in London. Will Farrell and John C. Riley play a pair of useless Amazon delivery drivers who have to deliver a city block's worth of parcels in two hours due to a series of mishaps at the warehouse. The final set piece has them trying to stuff 200 desperate housewife DVDs into a t-shirt cannon gun that they've mounted to the roof of their Amazon delivery van. Stepbrothers meet, sorry we missed you. Might call it deliverance, <laughs> but like with a question mark. No. That's brilliant. Nice. What? Did we just become best friends? Yup. Give me the money. Oh, I'll that is it. wonderful. <laughs> I, I don't know how to follow that. How do I follow all of that? But I wrote this on three pages. I don't, I'll try and three keep it brief. Three pages? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Well, I spaced it out a lot. This is a reunion that's been talked about for ages, but they're bringing back the 90s classic sitcom Friends. Only this is going to be with a twist. This is going to be, ooh, COVID friends. Because it's going to see in New York in an emergency lockdown, six friends get locked together in a coffee house, Central Perk, you all know it, and they are quarantined for the duration of the lockdown with Gunther. We're going to go inclusive and diverse. So the casting is an absolute dream. First of all, for Ross Geller, we've got Donald Glover. <laughs> for Monica Geller, we've got Tessa Thompson. For Phoebe Buffay, we've got Phoebe Waller-Bridge. For Joey Tribbiani, we're going to gender swap, and it's Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, then for Chandler Bing, he's going to be played by Kamal Nanjini, if I'm saying his name correctly. <laughs> Could this casting be any more woke? And finally, for Rachel Green, we've got Laura Jean Marsh <laughs> making a huge I don't know debut. I want to be in this. It sounds uh, gun- a bit problematic. <laughs> Oh no 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 it's 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 going to be fine it's going to it's going to be it's an easy sell okay. it's an easy sell Wow brilliant that was great <laughs> You're not liking nice. it at all What's it called Yeah uh it's going to be called ooh covid and friends And you have to say it in that voice And the first one is going to be called the one with the pandemic <laughs> Oh, you've got to say that oh, voice. Yeah, mate. absolutely. There's plenty more, but you wanted nice. it short. Mate, so. that was great. <laughs> that was brilliant. You rounded it up perfectly. Ladies and gentlemen, your projectionist tonight is Eric. Eric who has a hot, hot, thirsty job. He does very, very well. Uh, unlike you, hasn't time to check himself. Unlike you. Yeah, all right, all right, all right, all right. wrapping things up now so we just need to first to find out what it is we are going to be watching and reviewing for the next podcast and it comes down to me it dropped today i've got a feeling it's going to be terrible but i think we need to watch it because otherwise it would be the elephant in the room coming to america Uh. eddie murphy on amazon prime dropped today so it's the sequel to coming to america so let's see how he can fuck that up and secondly we're going a bit more highbrow with the second one so this is on netflix it's been on there for months month and a half because uh, and i've had it on my list i just haven't got around to watching it yet it's a film called the white tiger and it's a film about the caste system in india it's a guy trying to basically raise his station sort of culturally and and, uh, financially within that Uh, it's supposed to be quite a dark satire on on the caste system and the and the class system in india it's supposed to be very very good so yeah the white tiger on netflix is the second film that we're going to be reviewing next time i've heard that's brilliant the next thing i need to do is pose the question as we've watched tom hanks this week i thought we'd link the question 
into that. So the question is, for which film did Tom Hanks receive his first Oscar nomination? Feel free to answer through the Facebook page as always. I think I know what it is. Well, I'm guessing on the question spot this week, so I didn't want to make it too, <laughs> like, too difficult. So if you think you do know the answer and you want to drop us a line, or if you just want to say hello, stop doing what you're doing, or give us another glowing review on Facebook, uh, you can hit us up on Facebook and Instagram forward slash seeing this pod. So that's facebook.com forward slash seeing this pod. Scene spelled S-C-E-N-E. And also on Instagram forward slash S-C-E-N-E this pod. Twitter is a little bit different. It is seen this underscore pod. A uh, very crucial difference. Please do follow us on Twitter because I think we have about five followers. Not even my mum's following Definitely. me on Twitter. So yeah, please just get over there and get on, get on that, please. And that's it. Thank you everyone for listening this far into the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, Laura. And as well, Tristian, thanks for stepping into Hammond's Shoes. Thank you for having me, guys, and letting me geek out with you. If anyone's interested in what I'm up to, you can visit www.giddystratospheresfilm.com or go to our Instagram page, which is just Giddy Stratospheres Film, or our Twitter, which is Film Giddy. And you can see what, what's going on with the film, watch trailers and see pictures and find out when we're releasing it. And yeah, thanks for having me, dudes. Yeah, well, thank you for allowing me to fill those boots, Ben. I really appreciate it. Um, this has been a lot of fun. My first and undoubtedly my last co-hosting spot on uh, on this wonderful podcast. Thank you very much and uh, hopefully see you guys soon. Fantastic. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, Tristan, for stepping in. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, LJ, awesome. Thank you so much for being a fantastic guest. And uh, yeah, everybody out there, thank you so much for listening. Please be good. And if you can't be good, be careful. Please be safe, be healthy. We'll see you again next time. You have been listening to Have You Seen This with Paul Breen, Christian Cooper, Ben Hammond, and myself, Ben Mercer. Our main theme is the Godzilla theme tune, remixed by myself, with beats supplied by Lander. Please like and subscribe if you've enjoyed the pod, and please check us out on Facebook and Instagram forward slash seeing this pod, seen spelled S C E N E. All views and opinions are those of their hosts. Normally, obviously, this is Hammond's responsibility, but he can't be with us for various reasons. That is true at the moment. He's currently digging up his garden. I'm concerned with the hints that he's put about what he's buried in his back garden already. Is this <laughs> is this real? Is this man actually digging up his garden? I think that one was actually real. I feel like he doesn't exist. <laughs> Who? Like, I just, I, I think he's just a figment of all your imagination. <laughs> 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 <laughs>